Hey, y'all, just a quick heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is eight to 10 years old. Now, these episodes were intended to be evergreen, and I still believe there's a lot of good information in these early episodes, but I do want to let you know that some of my ideas have evolved over time. Times have changed since we made these episodes, and ultimately, I'd like to think I've grown a lot as an artist and a human and that these don't necessarily represent my best work or the best of the podcast. If you're new around here, I suggest starting with the most recent episode or at least go back to around 300 and move forward from there. Enjoy the episode. Don't chase the glory, work hard and be satisfied. everybody you're listening to the creative pep talk podcast this show is about commercial art finding a balance between making good money and making great art i'm your host andy j pizza andy j miller dr pizza whatever you want to call me you can find this show on illustrationage.com slash creative pep talk illustration age is our proud syndicate hey Go check out the tunes from the show. We've got the theme music from the band Y. Thank you, Yoni Wolf. That song is January 20-something, and the last song is Berkeley by Hearseback. And then all the interludes and preludes and all the ludes are uh, Metavari. Go check out that. It's soundcloud.com slash Metavari. Fantastic stuff. Thank you, Nate Utesh. I'm probably one of those people that's easily excited. I get pretty stoked about things, especially things that I deeply care about, like the podcast. But I kid you not, I had a phenomenal conversation with my man, Tyler Deeb, for the show today. We we got into the flow, into the zone. We were talking about um, so many interesting things. He has such an interesting take on all kinds of creative and business topics. I, if I had to describe Tyler and his work and the, his company, Miscellaneous Goods, I honestly, the way that I would describe it is next level. And I know that sounds like something that people throw around a lot, but I genuinely mean that the products that Miscellaneous Goods create are on a next level to uh, the designer wares that are out about online. Uh, and I, you know, I subscribe and love so much of uh, the stuff that my friends make, but the stuff that they're making, the flask and the cards and um, the wallet, all these things that miscellaneous goods create, they're not, you know, as much as I like when a designer and an illustrator throws on a new kind of skin to a pre-existing product this stuff is tailor-made from the ground up and it's the quality is just breathtaking and I think 
Tyler really brings that sensibility and that that attention to detail and his own unique voice to every single product. And he just relaunched his design portfolio at misc-design-co.com. And in that, you see that next level thing. Every single piece in there feels tailor-made from the ground up. It feels like there's a real thought going into this being appropriate and memorable from piece to piece. And I think that's what makes great design. You know, I think sometimes when you're in a smaller market like uh, Louisville, which is where Tyler's from, I think you have to go crazy level up to get the kind of attention that uh, the, the design deserves. And this is a portfolio that you can't ignore. And it's been, I've known Tyler since I think 2011, and it's been a pleasure to kind of slowly get to know him through different uh, happenstance chance meetings and also to watch his portfolio just explode. He's got two Kickstarters, successful Kickstarters under his belt. One, the first one he did, they did these cards and he raised $146,000. And the card deck is absolutely breathtaking. Go check the stuff out. You can find his at miss-design-co.com. And then it's the same thing except good. So misc-goods-co.com. Go check that stuff out. It's so fantastic. And uh, you're going to really like this conversation. We had a great time. Tyler, thanks so much for being on the show. You are a boss. Thanks, man. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him, like, you should go check it out. You're going to be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was going to tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you want to see what I did with it. 
If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Clarifying. I found I just did a workshop on illustration and I'm like, I don't know if I was good at illustration before teaching that workshop. Right, right. And now you realize there's things that you know yeah. that other people don't even have a context for. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, the other side of sending questions is that I I it, I think it's really funny that um it's one of those things where if you prepare really well and then you go into the interview yeah. and you don't do any of the questions, the interview will go yeah. well. So then yeah. you'll think, oh, I don't have to prepare that well. And then you'll do one and it won't go well. But you you need the preparation. I don't know what it, it's like false confidence or I don't know what it is, but yeah. Yeah. Know. I've heard I've heard that before in other ways, and that um you create a framework and then you allow yourself to move very loosely within that framework. And mm-hmm. so, so if you hold too tightly to the framework, so the same thing goes with like business and anything. Yes. Like if, if you hold on to the project, okay, so we started making projections this year mm-hmm. for the first time. Right. And it was like um, living in a cage yes. because, uh, <laughs> because I could not be satisfied unless we hit that number. Yeah. And, and so, so part of the reason is that we were, we were putting like some strains or I was putting some strains in the company that were, um, uh, uh, making it not viable unless we hit some of those, yeah. um, goals. Right. And so that, that, that was kind of a trap that I put myself in, but now I'm, I've been able to loosen up and there's, there's not as much strict goals in the company, yeah. but there is some goals. And so that you can have like an idea of what you need to achieve, but also allow it to like, um, to like move more fluidly within those like. So being those. a being a weirdo, I don't know. I I found that I'm like, a, as much of a visual illustrator as I am like a verbal illustrator. So I constantly am like coming up with v- verbal illustrations to like say, oh, you're ref- so what you're referencing is this idea that I keep going back to, especially recently, is um, the balance between you have to make waves and ride waves. And mm-hmm. like, I think you, I think people's nature is to do one or the other. And so like for me, my nature, at least in business, or the things that I decide to care about, I'm like making waves. Like I want to, this thing, I want to make it happen, but I found that like it never happens. You never, you never make something and it happens the exact same way that you wanted it to. And if you don't have those like open hands, then you miss the real opportunity as it comes. Like you needed yeah. to make that momentum, but then you also need to be open to how it evolves on its own. Um, but I think, yeah, I think that that's really interesting. And um, I wanted to talk about, I want to talk a little bit about creative, your creative morning talk. And I, mm-hmm. and I want to talk about, 
it seems like there was a you know a big theme of like letting go and not holding things too tightly or holding the outcomes too tightly. Um, so before I do that though, you your talk was called "Work Hard and Be Satisfied." Do you want to talk a little bit about like what that means? Yeah, uh, when I was asked to do the Creative Mornings talk, um, I had I was you know providence that it was about work because that's probably the theme that I. I think about the most and it's not like um, how to make good work as much as um, what does it mean to work and um, and we just have so many different voices coming at us about uh, what work should look like and what you should accomplish in work and we've been receiving that sort of information ever since we were in school true and I really felt convicted uh, to have like a transparent conversation about like the struggles that I had um, in working for an institution, mm. and uh, and so yeah, so the 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 realization I came through that really hard experience was that um, I cannot I can't look to work to be my identity, and yeah. I can't look to find approval for my life for my peers through the work that I make. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that, that doesn't mean that you give up and that you, you stop working, True. that, that there's something inherently good about just working hard. Mm-hmm. And we all know that feeling, that feeling is just like everywhere and everything that we do. Um, when we, when we really put a strong effort to it. Yeah. And so how do you put like a strong effort towards something to make it really good without like hanging on the approval of your peers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, like the third part of that t- talk was the, to be satisfied because, um, I think, yeah, I say something in the, in the talk that's like, uh, satisfaction, uh, is as much a discipline of the mind as it is, uh, a reaction to the circumstance. Mm-hmm. And what I'm trying to say with that is that, um, sometimes the reaction to whatever you do, it won't be good. And you're, you're, I think it's still important that you practice um, satisfaction yeah. and um, and that you're able to be present to the other people in your life because when you're dissatisfied, you're you kind of like turn inward, and it all it becomes all about you and um, how important it is that you feel this way, and that's not fair. Mm-hmm. Especially, you know, that's not fair no matter what stage of life you're in, but especially if you're a husband or a wife yeah. or. Um, a father yeah. or a mother, like that is just, it's very toxic for your family. Yeah. And so, um, and so you have to, for the sake of your family and for the sake of your friends or whoever it is that depends on you to be present, like you really need to just learn to be satisfied. Like, ah, it wasn't that good. Everyone hated it, but <laughs> I really put everything into it yeah and i did it with a clear conscience and i didn't slack and who can really hold you accountable to anything more than that i mean yeah. that's that should be enough yeah. uh, and if you even don't do that you should be able to let it go and like pick yourself up and try again um true i and i uh i want to come back to that that idea of like enjoying the process but before i jump over there i just heard yeah. this on uh the latest tim ferris podcast he interviews chase jarvis who i'm not super familiar with but um i they they talked about something i found really really interesting um it's kind of like you know people that think that they're going to be generous when they have tons of money 
but they've practiced not being generous Uh that whole time. So by the time they have money, they're not, they don't know how to be generous. And, uh, it's similar to that in that they talked about this Buddhist monk who said that if you were washing the dishes and you were going to reward yourself with a peach afterwards. And so the Mm -hmm. whole time you're, you're washing the dishes, you're thinking about the peach. By the time you're eating the peach, your brain is trained to be looking forward to the next thing. So you won't enjoy Mm -hmm. eating the peach either. And Mm so that was kind of like really intense for me because I really, really struggle being present. And actually I think, I think one of my main strengths is being future oriented and visioning, you know, you know, thinking in terms of vision and and what the future could look like. And I think there's lots of good things about that, but I definitely, especially as a father and as a, a husband and, and in work struggle to just enjoy what's going on right in this moment, regardless of what it is. Um, but, and here's what's crazy is that we have like so many testimonies from people all across of that it's not enough. Like there's a there's a Johnny there's a Johnny Cash song and I can't mm-hmm. remember it and uh, maybe I'll email it to you later. But yeah. it's uh it's about you know like the perspective that no like people saying if only I had that mm-hmm. then I would be this. Yes. Um, and I remember Jim Carrey did an interview several years back where he's just talking about like people think that his life is just so wonderful because yeah. he has all this money and all this fame and it's not. And then you have like that interview with Tom Brady where he's I was after just he, thinking of that too. Yeah. Yeah. Like when he won his third Super Bowl ring and, and they're like, he's like, it's empty. <laughs> he's like, and, well, they said, which one's your favorite? And he said the next one. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then Jim, the Jim Carrey quote is that, uh, which I think is just super good is that he says, I wish everybody could be ultra famous and have all of their dreams come true just so they know that it's not enough. Yes. Yeah. I think that's really good. And then, so you have those testimonies on the outside and then you have the one from your own life, mm-hmm. which you say five years ago, I would have freaked out to know yeah. that I was where I am now. Yeah. I mean, I was very lowly in my design career mm-hmm. at that point. And um, to know that people want to talk to me about design and business and that I have a company that is doing well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, and even to look at my work, if I looked at my work five years ago now, I'd be like, wow, I did that. Yeah. And, and yeah, but it's not. And so remember that. I mean, yep. remember that five years from now, you probably, maybe, maybe not, will be somewhere that you would have envied now mm-hmm. and you still feel the same way that you feel now. <laughs> yeah, and I, and, I lo- and I love that. And I also think, I always try to temper this idea that we, this idea of duality that says every, it's easier for your brain to understand things in terms of opposites. So it's like, if what we're saying is true, then the opposite must be wrong. So like achieving or thinking about the future or trying to do better or try, you know, whatever it is, then all of that must be wrong when really, I think it's actually better to hold them in kind of some kind of tension where it says, I am doing more meaningful work than I was five years ago. Some of the fruits of that are sweeter than they used to be, but there are still things that are the same. That there's yeah. a there's a level of not if I'm not learning how to be satisfied with a little bit I'm not going to be satisfied with a lot but if I learn how to do that now I'll be able, I'll be able to do that later. Yeah, I I also talk about you're you're absolutely right and 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 that that is important to recognize it is you 
work is sweeter now. Yeah, it is. You know? Yes. And it's absolutely. better. And there was an illustration that I used in uh, the talk that was about like, you know, who's more satisfied, Donald Trump or, you know, this poor person. Yes. And it really depends on the person. Like, True. but what the, the point is that the, there are poor people that are as satisfied or more satisfied than wealthy people. Yes. And we just have to like, it's a you problem and it's not, it's not a, a circumstance problem. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I don't know where to go from there, but <laughs> well, let me say this. So yeah. Would you tell us a story or take us back to a moment in that like earlier time before you started having some of that realization, some of those times where you were really unsatisfied where you were and Mm -hmm. it'd be great if you could paint a picture, a transparent picture of a a time where you were, where you were really struggling in a legitimate way and it doesn't even have to have an app happy ending. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I think the point in which, I was most uh, depressed. Yeah, was about eight months into uh, my job at Southern Seminary. And mm-hmm. Southern Seminary is a theology theology. Uh, sorry, Southern Seminary is a theological seminary here in yeah. Louisville. Yeah, and uh, I had been always working um, in a very loose way up to that point before I started that job. And I did some freelance design, but it was very mediocre, and it was not paying very well. And I was working in a coffee shop, Mm -hmm. but I had a very specific vision for the path of my career. You know, I knew that I wanted to capture a certain, um, genre of design and I wanted to be in control of how that worked. Yeah. Well, Noel became Noel and I became pregnant and I, I was forced to take this job. And the job was just, I mean, it was institutional. So it was against this whole like um, arrogant position that I'd taken in my career where I was going to pave the way and I was going to be the most important figure in this. (laughs) And it was saying, no, you're not. You're a part of a team of people very different than you and that require you to hit deadlines on projects that you would never have chosen for yourself. Mm. And um, it's really... It's amazing because I had so much to be thankful for and it's almost embarrassing to look at now and say that I was as distraught as I was (laughs) because, um, because I was putting so much hope into, um, being a celebrity designer or being a, um, distinguished illustrator that I wasn't able to take something very good and give thanks for it and be, and be present. And for eight months, um, I would lose sleep over it. And, uh, I would just wear my wife's ear out. (laughs) Like, I mean, she was so patient. Yeah. Go ahead. What are you gonna say? I was just going to say that, you know, my story is very, very similar to that, and I'm not going to go into it, but I very much relate re- relate to that, had really similar experiences. Were there any uh, specific moments that you remember feeling like tons of anguish or like, like can, is there any specific thing in, in, in your memory? Like this moment, I was like so upset. Like I remember one time, so 
when I graduated, I had to work at Subway. It was we. I graduated right in a right at the recession. No jobs, and I was in England, which and the economy was really bad. I was already working at Subway like through college, and uh, I remember like going home on the bus because I didn't have a license or a car in England, and uh, I remember just like praying like like screaming internally of like I have to not do this this is like killing everything in me and I was like and I was yeah. so desperate to like please anything that could just instantly change where I'm at because I cannot stand yeah. this um and it is embarrassing to think about in terms of I was making sandwiches like <laughs> you're a sandwich artist I was a I was a sandwich artist before I was a real artist that's where I learned all of my artistry. Um, but uh, but was there any moments that you can remember that in particular that where you were feeling that pain? Yeah, I think the the anguish, and it really was, and it and compared to other people's lives, it's 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 wrong to say it was anguish. But for me at the time, under my circumstances, it was. Yeah, and uh, it was when I was walking in a very beautiful park here in Louisville uh, called Cherokee Park. And I was walking and we were pushing, pushing the stroller with Royal in it. Yep. And, and like I was saying, I was just wearing it was just an hour monologue of me just talking about <laughs> how unsatisfied yeah. I was oh and how gosh. much it sucked to have to do the work that I was doing. Yeah. And, uh, and, and again, Noel was just so patient and so gracious to me during that time. Yeah. Um, cause I was being a baby. I was being just like a child really. And, uh, and now that I have children that are older, I see that same behavior in them, yes. which is like, uh, I gave you an ice cream cone, but now you want a brownie too. And you mm-hmm. cannot be happy until you get that brownie mm-hmm. and you're eating the fucking ice cream right now. <laughs> <laughs> and you're still looking at the brownie and going Dude. back to the, I have kids too and I got the I have the same thing and yeah and it's in me. I feel I you know yeah. what? I think that aggravation that you feel as a parent like where we we go to the zoo, it's all that they wanted to do and then they're like, "Well, what are we doing after this?" And I, and, <laughs> and that th- I think what makes it why you get so angry for me is because I'm like you too. Like you're yeah. you're just like me and I hate this. I hate that yeah. you are you're going to have the same, that same struggle. And I totally, rel- I get it, you know, but yeah, I feel But you what's there. cool is that we can be, we can be fathers that can empathize. Mm-hmm. And True. I, I don't know if you could say that about your father or my father, like, yes. um, and I think that's a cool opportunity that we have and True. to help, help train them against that behavior earlier on and like with more compassion and more empathy. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely feel like I come at parenting in a more, in a less like, here's the way it is, so get with the program or have a consequence, Mm -hmm. and a more like, here's why I think we should take this path. This is why this path is going to be productive, good for you, and ultimately, you know, better. And I try to, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure that... To use reason. I mean, that's why... I try to use reason. I totally do. Yeah. Um, So... Uh, for me, one of the big realizations, and I think it's similar to what you're saying, is when you're really, really driven by outcomes, uh, one, even when you get the outcome, it's it's not satisfying. But you're 
when you learn to enjoy and draw and, and push into the process of making things that, um, that, that was the thing. That was a big realization for me. Like I really just want to make money. I want to make a living doing the kinds of things that I'm good at and enjoy doing. And, and I, and I realize I don't even really care if there's awards or ceremonies or a following or anything on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I really just want to do work that I'm good at, which makes it feel meaningful, um, and 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 be able to pay my bills and 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 all that. Um, and there was definitely a, a shift for me where worrying about I don't I don't know. It's embarrassing to talk about wanting that design, illustration, fame, whatever that may be. It's embarrassing, partially because it's so small. It's really just a really small. It's like, so small. Not, not, like none of these people are famous. That's the thing. So it's even more embarrassing. But then, but I do so, think there was a big shift for me to, too, where it was like, you know, what? I don't care who sees it. I don't care. Mainly because I can tell that all of that part is empty. I just want to be. <laughs> I want to enjoy the stuff that I'm doing, and it be not like a natural extension of who I am. And so, does that resonate with you? Yeah. Uh, the reason I had to give it up was because um, I was so sick of being um, distraught. I was so I was so tired of being uncomfortable with my circumstance that I had to like just like go. I mean, it was like fighting. You know, it was like I don't know, like fighting the current, like you were mm-hmm. saying, right in the wave. Like um, I was like pushing against the the current of my life and I finally just like let go and just like let the river take me downstream. Mm -hmm. And as I was like going downstream, I was starting to be like, Hey, this is actually pretty chill. (laughs) Like I'm just floating downstream. And these people that I'm working with are actually not people that I can't get along with. And, um, this work is not something that, that can't, um, train me. And so I, I really kind of just turned, the situation on its head and I said, okay, I'm going to stop being a little baby about this yeah. and I'm going to start working at this particular project really hard yeah. and let it train me and use this as an opportunity to get better mm-hmm. and um, and also like to get to know people better and, yeah. um, and it ended up being a really, when I ended up leaving, you know, two years after, um, I didn't leave like with a huge overwhelming relief. Mm-hmm. I left with like, I'm glad that I'm leaving. That was a really good experience. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't like, get me out of here. Yeah. You know, I can't wait to tell off my boss and just get out. Yeah. You were um, Jim Brewer and half baked. You, 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 <laughs> you're, you're cool. There's people that really are not switched on at all about life. And then you have people that are switched on. And then those people at some point have to go through a death to that thing. And so, and you know, see if, if this resonates with you, but like when I met you, it must've been 2011, something like that. I, I remember meeting you and thinking oh here's someone who's like really switched on like they they they're into it they're excited about it they're passionate about what they're doing we had a good conversation 
And I just felt like that kinship of like really being into the stuff that you're doing. And I feel like that is a very different type of person, type of energy to people that are really not switched on. And you talked about in your talk that uh, that before you went out to, I think it was California, they were really not switched on. What do you think? Right. What do you think it was in particular? If you could trace it back to a moment or a thing or you know a place where your mindset really shifted from being apathetic about life or or whatever to all right, I'm hungry to do something. Yeah, I grew up uh, the third born uh, of brothers, and uh, I really I was never really forced to. Um, take responsibility for my life. And um, that went on and on and on until like 20. Mm -hmm. And I always had an opinion that was different than other people, but I never really understood what the point of like exercising that opinion was. Right. And, um, and so the time that I got most inspired was through a friend, uh, Aaron Mars, who was a self-taught designer out of Nashville working at a record label. And he was older than I was. And he, uh, we were hanging out one day and we were walking back to my apartment. He got a phone call and it was from a band that was touring and they, they needed some merchandise like immediately. So he went up into my apartment, started designing it. Three hours later, he, uh, sent them the artwork, approved it. They wired him the money and he had $300. Like, you know, which isn't a ton, but he had $300 yeah, yeah. for three, three hours of work, which is, yeah. it's not bad. Yep. And for me as a 20 year old working at a coffee shop, not knowing what I was doing with my life, mm-hmm. dropping, I dropped out of school twice, two colleges. Yep. Um, and I just saw something amazing in that. Mm-hmm. I saw a guy that was able to live, um, uh, without being too tied down to any one thing. He was working from his laptop. He made $300 in three hours working from his friend's couch. Yeah. Um, he was working with in an industry that was, especially to a 20-year-old, really attractive, you know, the music industry, mm-hmm. um, lights and music and touring. And, um, and so I saw it. At, so I think what first got me excited was my ego. Yeah, that yeah. Uh, that I was able to that with some hard work I could find myself in uh, the same position as him and interacting with influential people and working in an interesting industry. And so uh, as I as I was developing that, I was already signed up to do a year long uh, missionary trip in Oakland, California. Mm-hmm. And so when I moved there, I. Uh, I had bought a laptop and got an Adobe suite and uh, just started like teaching myself. Like that was, that was like really, that was the, aha. Uh-huh. like, I mean, I had done construction work up to that point. You know, I had done uh, service industry stuff. Um, I had worked in a lot of different jobs and nothing really felt like it clicked. Mm-hmm. And, and I would even say in an arrogant way, like nothing felt like it was good enough for me yet. Yeah. And then, and that industry just felt like, okay, like that's something I can sink my teeth into. I do think even just to pause you there about in terms of construction, I think about like in terms of that, 
I think there's a real component of hope for the future where someone, I think if you're working, like when I was working at Subway, right? I feel like my brother, my older brother, who's like a finance guy, more typically gifted in a, in a traditional sense in, in all those ways. I think for him, working at Subway didn't feel soul crushing because he's like, you know what? I could be the manager of this person. I could yeah. I could open up a few stores. And so right. that seed of hope where it's like, I know that it's almost like I'm not good enough for this position. Therefore, it's not good enough for me because I'm because I'm at the low. Nobody wants to be at the lowest rung forever. And so if you right. think best case scenario, I'm at the lowest rung. This is not good enough for me. I think yeah. at least for me, that's kind of why that's kind of how it, you know, unraveled. Well, and you know what? My the, my start wasn't very much different than yeah. that. It was just a very different industry. So you, Yeah, yeah. So like I get what you're saying. Like for your brother, that is um, you know, a way in to a life or like to a career, a lifelong pursuit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And mine was cleaning screens at a screen print shop. Mm-hmm. For 4 months for free. Yeah. Just so they would hire me. Yes, right. For seven twenty-five an hour, yeah. so you actually put those jobs next to each other. They're actually not that different. They're exactly, just very yes. different industries. Yeah. They pay the same amount. Yeah. They have. They both have a very low ceiling. Yeah. What was I going to? You know, where was I going to go from there? You know, like managing screen printers. Exactly, you know, like that was yeah. that. And so, um, but because I knew that I wanted to get in the creative industry and I wanted to break in, there was no other place that I could break in that would take this nobody and allow him to kind of work in this creative space. Yeah. That was, um, that wasn't soul crushing for me. That was yeah. life. That was yeah. like definitely one of the big starts to becoming into the creative industry. For sure. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, so what I kind of hear you saying, I don't know why I hear it in like an analogy, but I think about it like to me, I think there comes a point where it, it's like an equation being really switched on and being super uh, into it, into that place where you, you need to be, I think maybe starts with hope and hope is like a lump of coal though. And you actually need, I always think about, do you know Adam Garcia? Uh, yeah. Okay. He has the, the pressure is good for you. Mm-hmm. He has the little diamond. And I think about hope is like this, the foundation, but without pressure, you never go to that next level. You never, it doesn't switch on all the way. And so was, do you think that uh, Oakland was pre- part of that pressure? No, Oakland was the opposite. Like okay. Oakland was um, the like freedom. Okay, uh, right. So the job, the job sure. was the pressure. Hmm. Maybe maybe there was no pressure. This is a new theory I'm testing out on you. Uh, I actually don't think that pressure is good for you. Really? Uh, yeah. Let's talk about I, that. So I think – and this was kind of something – thanks. Do you uh, hear that, Adam Garcia, if you're listening? <laughs> pressure isn't good for you. What I think. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's a conversation definitely. And I think it would be wrong to assume – Either way. And so I think there's probably somewhere in between, like where the pressure is good for you, but too much of the pressure is bad for you or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, the, it goes back to what we were talking about before about like working hard and being satisfied. I feel yeah. like if you're constantly under this pressure, then 
you're making your work the most important thing in your life. Mm. And, um, and for me and the way that I've chosen to live, it's, it can't be without yeah. destroying other areas of my life. Not and to so mention the, destroying your work because creativity yeah. is so much about play and, let me say, and freedom and all that. Let me say something about that. I, I meant to say this earlier. My work became so much more powerful when I let go yeah. of approving my peers. And since then, it has only gotten better mm. because I do not do it for anyone else mm-hmm. but for myself. And I, I just try to make sure that I honor the discipline that I put myself under. So whatever project it is, I try to make sure that um, I'm giving it the attention and the work that my conscience feels it deserves. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, if people like it, that's great. But if people don't like it, that's okay too. Because yeah. like, I mean, there is like, think about the enormous spectrum of art and how so much of it you personally hate and other people personally love because so much of it is object, like, you know, objective. Yeah. And so you can't, you can't try to like bury yourself in this little, um, niche and just like look around to this little circle and say, who, who's watching and who approves of it. And, um, because that's just so vain. It's like, mm. it's like you're talking, to, you're talking to like a hundred people and like, a world of eight yes. billion. And uh, it just doesn't make any sense. It just seems so stupid. And I, uh, my actual, my next, I'm planning my next episode. I've started planning them out about two weeks in advance. So my next Good. episode is literally about uh, not wanting to be cool and just this idea of being okay with polarizing people. I, and the analogy I go back to is this idea that. If you were really fantastic at making little balls of rice, like you wouldn't offend anybody. Nobody would be like, oh, that's disgusting. I hate that. But if you throw in some like raw fish and fish eggs and seaweed, all of a sudden people are, there are lots of people that are going to think that's disgusting, but then you're going to have a lot of people that are super pumped about it. And I think you have to be, you know, with that like, with, with that white knuckle clenching of I need people to love me I need everybody to love me and celebrate me you're never going to do anything interesting Not, nobody is ever going to be that excited about it um, I, I've definitely found that for myself let's go back though to unless you want to say anything about that yeah uh, I think if um, what was his name again the guy that made the, the poster Adam Garcia Adam, you know if Adam Garcia is open to like co-art direction i'd say like sometimes the pressure can be good for you <laughs> <laughs> let's do a let's do a new poster where we put some uh i could see that in like a 80s graffiti across that but but uh i i think that um let me ask you this though too do you think that you could have had that realization without going through that pressure though no, I don't think I could have gotten that realization without going through that pressure. Yeah. And the pressure the pressure was and that's the thing too, like Adam is right. Mm-hmm. And it just but it's it's such a big concept that it can be wrong too, which yeah. is like, you know, like what is the pressure? How is it applying to you? Who's yeah. around you, all that. Um so in this case, like the pressure was um my own um 
like the gratification of my ego and having to find a way to get rid of that, like release that pressure. Yeah. And like the reason I couldn't release it was because, um, because I wasn't open to not being important. Yeah. And, and when I decided that it's okay that I'm not important, then it was like a release valve and the pressure. So I don't let the pressure build up anymore in a a certain way. Yeah. But I definitely, I definitely don't stop working, man. Yeah. Like I'm working all the time. Yeah. And when I'm not working, I'm thinking about work and I create, I create time for my family. That doesn't mean that I neglect, neglect those other things, but, um, maybe (laughs) to keep on kind of opening that concept up, maybe the pressure is good for you, but like, you've got to let go of like containing that pressure and like Mm -hmm. letting it just build on your shoulders as if the world depends on you to get that dumbass design out the door. Yeah, yeah, totally. The world is not waiting on you. No one cares. That's the thing. No one cares. No one cares about that. And I, one of the things that was really helpful for me in terms of tactical, so if you find yourself being being in that situation where you feel all of that pressure and you feel like, um, you know, that you have all that, that giant burden. For me, one of the things that was really helpful was going to conferences, meeting the people that I really looked up to. Really, every time I would go to like an event and I'd spend, you know, a considerable amount of time early on in my career with people that I really respected, I kept realizing that they didn't care about any of that. Like they didn't care about, they maybe they were design famous, but that was not what, that never had drove them or that's not what led them to being great. And I'm sure there are exceptions to that rule, but I kept, I kept leaving those situations feeling really silly and thinking, wait a second. Do I care about this work or not? And, mm-hmm. and, and, if, and if I do, let's focus on that. Let's focus on what, what I care about in terms of this process. Um, sure. That was really helpful for me. Um, but yeah. So let's talk about – I, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about I – had, I had phrased it like this. I have this idea right now about – you know, we have all the resources to build our own pyramids. Like if, if designers and illustrators are the brick makers, we don't have to make these pyramids for Pharaoh anymore. That's kind of the way that I, <laughs> that I put it. And I, and again, I, I'm not trying to be, I'm not, so, I'm, I'm the opposite of a contrarian and I'm not a rebel in any way. So like, <laughs> my dad is like very corporate and I love like, I love his whole journey and I celebrate his corporate. He works for a really fantastic organization. So I'm not against the man per se, but I am against companies. A lot of the situations in the creative world, I think are um, not always, they don't always have the best interests of creative people in mind. And I think um, a lot of times some of these really truly valuable creative people will make this beautiful thing give it off to a business person and that business person can make a a hundred times what they pay that person for. And so, you know, I've become increasingly more interested in building my own pyramids. uh, And I, and I've been fascinated to watch you transition your focus to how, how much time are you spending on client work now? Uh, For the last eight months, it was zero. And then, but now, um, I've learned that that wasn't the smartest move and that – because I was, I was like not accepting work. So yeah. 
clients were coming and I was turning it down because I was really wanting to focus on a season of like large growth for miscellaneous goods. Yeah. Um, and now I've realized I've learned something really important, which is when a company has the more cash, um, the more cash stream or like what the is cash it? flow, the more cash flow streams that you're able to um, have going. Yeah, the more that you have coming into your company from different angles, the better because yeah. um, some things get slow and other things get fast. And and so we have three that in our company. We have now my my graphic design, we have wholesale, and then we have like point of sales through e-commerce. Um, and so now I'm doing about 20, 25% uh, with design mm-hmm. with, with clients. Mm-hmm. And it's also really important for my company because my company is such a um, – design focus brand that like I need to keep on like showing people that I'm a designer. It's really, <laughs> and if I close that, yeah. then was it, was launching your site part of that effort? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Site yeah. looks great. Lo- love the way all that looks awesome. But I, I'm, I'm really fascinated about this topic because, um, as I'm doing more creative pep talk stuff and I'm so passionate about it and my, my passion has, not disappeared, but it's gotten a lot smaller for like when you get an email with a brand name that's really big that mm-hmm. it feels – it's not as exciting as it used to be. And I enjoy the process of doing my own stuff more than ever. And so I am t- I was tempted too to be like, oh, I'm just going to not accept anything and I'm going to focus all my energy on that. And then it's funny that you should say like me being a practicing illustrator really – impacts being able to talk about being a a commercial artist. So I think, yeah, I I totally feel you there. And I think um, the other side of that that's really interesting for me is that do you find that the client work uh, informs the other work? Like is there, instead of just all, instead of it just being pure, it's not, that doesn't affect it? No, it's the other way around. My personal work now informs my client work. Yeah, yeah. And so um, the things that I'm learning, even the way that I'm able to problem solve through my personal projects and the, you know, the ways that I'm figuring out how to draw things or design things or create things or get them manufactured or whatever it is, the, the, the trials that I've gone through, through my, you could say, passion projects inform my client work. Mm -hmm. And so it actually makes my client work more attractive and more strong. Um, But no, it doesn't go the other way. It doesn't go the other way. Like uh, I don't ever really come to something in my client work that really informs my Mm. passion projects. Yeah. And I definitely think that in terms of your unique voice, the the website that you just launched and the work that you're showing there, client work included, has such a strong narrative and a strong perspective compared to stuff that you're doing five years ago, not to, not to diss that stuff, but just to say that exploring all that stuff on your own Mm -hmm. meant that you, now, now you have this very specific voice that other people can come to you for rather than you being a chameleon project to project. I definitely see that. But I think, I think about it in terms of, uh, I always, I feel like the best crafts people in terms of like the music world are the people that have several bands. So they have their, like their little Mm. band where they do their thing and they're really precious about it and they try to make it as good as possible, but then they play around with a bunch of other things and, you know, that keeps them loose. And yeah, I've always liked that. Like Bon Iver, Justin Vernon is someone who I yeah. think of like, he seems to have so many projects going on, 
but then he does laser focus on his own thing and he seems to like take and learn and experiment so yeah absolutely yeah so i really like that but what i and i also like this idea of having diverse streams of income and do you do you consider yourself to be a business person uh, not until recently. Good. Um, I, I, let's talk about that. Yeah. So when I decided to really focus my energy on miscellaneous goods company and try to make that really profitable, mm-hmm. um, I kept on ha- you know running into the hurdles that would prevent it from being profitable unless I figured it out. Yeah. And so I've been chipping away. And then I started meeting with, you know, uh, business people that have been doing business for 20 years and have made millions of dollars off millions of dollars off their businesses and they've mm-hmm. counseled me and so I'm and I've met with lawyers and you know other small business owners and so I had I didn't realize it but I actually had been building up quite a bit of understanding on how business works and how it gets made you know yeah so let me ask you this. Uh, two questions. Uh, the first one is, what in that space between art and business, how has your opinion or thoughts evolved or changed? Or was there any part of that that surprised you in this kind of new state? Uh, yeah. It surprises me how less money goes when you own a business. So I had been used to working in either an office job, which, you know, your whole check goes to your pocket and then, uh, freelance, which pretty much the same, the whole Mm -hmm. check, you buy your computer and your programs and that's like your only overhead and maybe if rent, maybe rent, if you have rent, uh, with business, it's just totally different, man. Like, I'm just used to writing enormous checks to my vendors and then uh, receiving huge amounts of money and hoping that the big amount that came in offsets the big that went out. Yes. And and so, um, yeah, I mean, that's been the biggest surprise, which was like, you know, only making 30%, you know, 20 to 30% of what you're generating Mm -hmm. opposed, opposed to graphic design which it's like 98% of what you generate goes mm-hmm. in your pocket. Yeah. And so that's that's been really – managing that money has been really hard. Was that a big mindset shift? I feel like I'm in that zone right now where illustration and design feels a little bit like alchemy in terms of like taking a piece of paper and then turning it into 500 bucks. And you're like – at first that seems so magical because you're you're like, man, I just – I have like no overhead. I just created <laughs> – but then – I feel like you get to a point where there's a ceiling where you're like all it all comes down to how often I'm doing that and it yeah. gets really, you know, tight in that way. But then to then go from there to all right, now I'm thinking about being more of a business person. Were there hurdles for you like the taking those risks of like now I'm going to fork out $20,000 or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, can you can you repeat the question? The question is just were there like emotional hurdles to taking those risks like early on? Like because 
for me personally, I feel like I'm kind of making some of those transitions now. And I'm thinking it's, it was, I, I loved keeping overhead really, really low. And now that mm-hmm. I'm stood before, all right, now I'm going to invest in this product or I'm going to invest in this space or, um, how did you get through that? Uh, that actually wasn't very difficult for me. Okay. Um, I kind of like, I've, I've been born with an ability to gamble. Yeah. Like, and I'm, I luckily married my best friend who is very trusting of me and it allows me to gamble. Yep. And, and so I, but that is a very important part of running a business mm. is gambling. Yes. Because you're basically saying that I have a vision that I really believe in and I'm really willing to throw my own personal money at it to try to achieve it. And other people who look at you, especially the ones with business degrees, are going to say you're crazy. Mm. And you just have to believe that you have to believe. Oh, man, I love this. This is so good. And I am a risk taker, too. So I I am a risk taker for sure. And it's definitely Mm. in my nature. But I think you you hit on something really interesting that in order to gamble, you really do have to believe. You have to. And – what, but Getting what to, grew that in you? Where, where did, how did you, I have some guesses of maybe what causes you to believe in yourself, bet on yourself, be willing to do that. But what do you think it is that gave you that confidence? Well, I think, I think there's something to say about if you're 22, it doesn't mean that you can't gamble and, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but if you don't have a lot of experience in your industry, you might want to wait until you have a little bit, but you know, there's been plenty of amazing stories of, I mean, some of us, our most successful tech people are under 22 that had ideas and gambled on them. And and have yeah. But for me, in my story, it wouldn't have worked. Mm-hmm. Like you, you need to have a certain, um, you, you've had to have been present for a while to understand what you're making and if there's a market for it. Let me come up. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. And so for me, I really believed in the things that I made and then I had an enormous amount of affirmation through the Kickstarter. That's what but I had, say. but I, I had already, um, but I'd already kind of taken a pretty big gamble. You mm-hmm. know, I'd worked for free for myself for three months mm-hmm. before that Kickstarter. Yeah. And it's because it's stubbornness. It's wanting to see your theme go the way that you want it to go and to really believe that it, that it can be successful. Mm-hmm. I do think like capitalizing on a big win like that, you know, mm-hmm. if you don't know, uh, Tyler did a Kickstarter back in 2012 that, raised $146,000 and uh, I'm sure that that really boosted your confidence to believe like for me recently some of the recent wins that I've had have made me realize how how safe I've been playing it on myself like how like and then thinking actually there's this well of potential that I should have been hedging my bets a lot further and actually I'd be in better places had I done that which has made me encourage other people like you probably you probably have way more potential than you think that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I find that really interesting. Yeah, the Kickstarter was shocking. I mean, I yeah. People say, "Were you surprised?" And and I, it's hard to like really authentically say how surprised I was. Yeah, but I, my asking was six thousand two fifty, and I legitimately had a conversation with someone before the launch. I was like. 
I'm terrified I'm not going to make that amount. Yeah. And so <laughs> to go from being terrified, I thought best case scenario was 20. Yeah. And then uh, like very best, like beyond my dreams success. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I thought if I can just make the 6,000, you know, that'd be great. Uh, but yeah, it did give me a huge boost of confidence. And it also gave me some working capital to, to make bigger, you know, to make bigger uh, gambles. Yeah. Uh, and I did, you know, I reinvested most of the profit from that. And I also think a lot of people ask me questions about Kickstarter. And so I'll give a quick kind of overview yeah, of I what I, yeah, I would love for you to do that, but I didn't want to focus too much on that either. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, $146,000 in Kickstarter for me ended up being about $78,000 profit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that also had to cover six and a half months of work. So it was a good takeaway for sure. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, $10,000 a month is really great. True. But it's it's also very different than how people normally perceive it, which is you made $146,000 in one month. Right. And they're just not the same thing. And I know you know very much of what <laughs> of what that that never looks quite like it does on screen. No, um, absolutely. Yeah, that's really good. And I was going to, that was the question. The only question I had was tell us a little bit about what that money actually looks like because it's, it's, you know, actually really different. Let me ask you this. So I, we can talk a little bit about profit margins and all that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm totally open to that. I think a lot of times when we start talking about anything, people get really caught up in the dirt of something. But I don't, I'm guessing that's not ultimately the strength of miscellaneous goods, what do you think more than anything, if you had to say this is the top strength, this is the number one thing that it has going for it, what do you think it is about your brand that makes it work? I mean, I would say that the greatest strength that the company has is my perspective and and I don't even say that as a way to stroke my ego because yeah. who who am I to have even built my perspective? It's yeah. not like I sat down with a pile of books and I said, this is who I'm going to be. Yeah. And um, no, this is like my personality and my perspective has been built by my parents and by my friends and by my teachers and by my church and by – And your like, DNA to a degree. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as a father with sons that are totally different from each other, we are born with certain qualities that we didn't ask for and they're yeah. just there. And so so again, I said that not to stroke my ego, but I think I have a perspective that I've really learned to love and really yeah. learned to accept that really comes out in the products that I make. And uh, and if I could like describe that, and I've, I've tried over the years to describe it, I'd say I like things that are made with a lot of intentionality mm-hmm. and really simple ways for utilitarian purposes that could have existed a hundred years ago, could exist today, and could exist a hundred years from now. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we've made a really conscious decision in the company not to build any of our products around technology because. Because my perspective is that I want something that you, Andy, 
could hand to your children, mm-hmm. you know, 30 years from now. Yeah, if it's yeah. the wallet or if it's the flask, if it's the deck of playing cards or whatever, like I want that to be practical for them. Mm. And I also wanted to feel like if it was like showed up 100 years ago that no one would be like, what the hell is this thing? Yeah, yeah. And so that's just something that I feel really excited about making products like that. And um, and so my voice within the products is a, a really I think really important parts of the company. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And that's, and you know, that's why I asked you because I think so, it's so easy to, whenever people want to mimic someone's success or learn something from someone's success, I feel like a lot of times you get so caught up in the details and think, oh, well, they did a Kickstarter and they did it this way. And these were the back, this is how they did the reward system and all of those yeah. things. And you end up coming back to this point of like, it really has more to do with the perspective and the vision and the heart of the thing is authentic to who you are. And I know you know, being authentic is like totally – it was a buzzword. Now it's even worse than what that is. I don't even know what that's called. But, but, it, but it's true that – and I think one of the biggest struggles for creative people is even Michael Jordan wanted to be a baseball player. Right. And I think, and it's, there's something about like, we're not impressed with ourselves. We're not, it's not interesting to us to be ourselves. Uh, and I, and I think it's, I love how, um, I feel like your, what's the word you call it? Like fatalism like that. So that's so not me at all. I'm not, it doesn't give me peace. It doesn't, I don't, every time I come across that aspect of your company, when I first did, I was shocked by it. Like, whoa, what did that playing card just say to me? And so, (laughs) but at the same time, uh, I think there's this thing about like, I want to go back to my, my friend. I met one of my best friends in middle school was a guy named Matt Langworthy. And I, and I claimed this story as the discovery of true cool. And he was this football player, linebacker dude uh, really funny and like charismatic and uh we we met at this party and he was like going on and on about the new in sync record and i rem- and he wasn't joking at all and he and i remember thinking for the first time like this is genuinely cool like i i don't know and i and it totally broke all of my perceptions of what cool was um, categories yeah but but just that that authenticity of dialing in to who you really are and the power of that. And I think that you've really done that with miscellaneous goods. And it's, and it, and I think it not like, just because it's not initially my cup of tea and that fatalism or whatever it is, or it's not what I would make. And maybe that shocks me a little bit initially, but then I grow to appreciate, but this is who Tyler is. Then I love it. Um, so I think you're totally right about that. Did you have anything to say on that before I go to like rapid fire mode? Yeah, no. Uh, so I would definitely say that my work has like a strong aspect of like fatalism to it. And yeah. I think the reason that I, I choose to do that mm-hmm. is because I feel like the culture that I live in, that I brought up in, has been so overly self-important. And everyone is a sparkling star yeah. and every, every, everything that you do is important and go out and make something amazing today and go hustle, hustle your brains out. And, and I find it to be a lie and that 
there's that's not it's not totally untrue, but it's yes. not all the truth. And so I don't believe that nothing matters mm-hmm. and that um, we're all just going to die. So why even try? I, I don't. So that's kind of like fatalism at its like, yeah, yeah, most severe place. Mm-hmm. But I like I like to throw I like to lob out these ideas to people because I see I, I don't see there being a balance to the way that we're talking to mm-hmm. each other about work and the way that we're talking to each other about what's important. And, and they're both true. You know, we are special. We are unique stars, but we also are people that are going to die. We're also in dust. Years in 70 years. And that's nothing. I'm just reading right now about William Wilberforce. That dude was amazing. True. And he, no one can really even talk about who he is. And he literally changed the way that we live our lives now. I mean, he single-handedly... Like that's best-case scenario for your life. Oh, gosh, life. yeah. Yeah, you and abolish likely, social norm. Yeah. And you're forgotten in 200 years. You're likely to be forgotten, let alone if you design a super nice deck of playing cards. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, But no, but I, I, I... And I love that. And I think for me, it's like... I love that perspective and there's that Niels Bohr quote of like the opposite of a profound truth might be another profound truth and I just, I totally I you know there's a there's a degree in which I really subscribe to that idea but I I love that I I love the I, I think it's also just a breath of fresh air to be in commerce not selling happiness like selling a di- totally different perspective is just very unique and I and I think so much of uh doing well is like being different like you know no other deck of cards says says those things to you and uh or flask or uh whatever you're oh, the mirror i love the mirror i'm such oh, a fan so. of that it's beautiful um okay i've got three really quick questions sure. uh just to cap it off the first one is who's the most influential or favorite designer of the past for you because I have a hard time placing that. Like I don't, I don't exactly know who's influenced you. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't go. To... <laughs> this is a hard question for me. No, man. That, I, good. That's good. I, I I didn't go to design school, so yeah. I never had like a formal education, and so I I have studied um, work on my own, mm-hmm. but I've never had. Like I'm the a, same as you. So yeah. I, I feel you on that. And I, I'd say two artists that really inspired me. So mm-hmm. they weren't even designers. Well, they were, I mean, they had a design eye, but they were more fine artists was uh, Basquiat. Yeah. And David Hockney. Mm-hmm. And David Hockney preceded Basquiat and very much influenced Basquiat. But I really both love uh, the perspectives that they had. And um, I felt like the compositions that they made were just incredible and so inspiring and the textures and everything. Um, And so those were definitely past designers or past artists that really influenced me. What about right now? It doesn't have to be who's influencing you or anything. Who do you think is doing really interesting stuff right now? I think Damien Carell. Dude, I love Damien Carell. I always, I've laid it on thick ever since college. I was, I've just, Every interaction with him, I've totally fanboy. I just, and he's always been really nice to me. Recently, he said some really nice things, but he, I think he is the unsung hero. Oh, he's this, so good. He's so good. Oh my gosh. 
you, we were talking on on Twitter the other day, and I, I literally I, I've I've always admired his work. Yes, uh, another great. He just has a great perspective. Uh, it's interesting. The people that I'm most attracted to are not <gasps> like they don't actually have direct influences on my work. Yeah, yeah. But like uh, I think Tim Lahan is really interesting. So he's True. an illustrator. True. Um, Andy Reminter. Fantastic. Yeah, Andy Reminter is awesome. And so those are like very different styles and perspectives than me, but those are definitely mm-hmm. people that I go back to and I'm like, wow, how interesting uh, of things they're making right now. Um, but I actually, when I, when I like think of work and I try to make work, I don't really, I don't really try. I used to go and look at work and really try to figure out how they did it mm-hmm. and try to recreate it. And I think it's an important place for I you to find a season yeah, that you need to do. Yeah, totally. And now I don't do that at all. Yeah. In fact, I, I actually try to avoid finding inspiration in other people's work mm-hmm. at all costs. Now there is times when I'm like running into a really hard spot and I will just kind of start looking around. at Just, my- to, just to like I, – I do find it's like good to like when you're feeling really stuck, just going back to like why you make stuff. Like, oh, I like this stuff. I don't yeah. know. There's something about that that's good. Yeah. yeah, and so I do that but I generally try to – um, I try to like keep my perspective as pure as possible, mm-hmm. even though it has been influenced by a melting pot of people over the last 10 years. Yep. Like now it's at a certain spot where I really wanted to try to stay, you know, it's a melting pot of all these things. I don't want to throw like a gallon of something else in it and like yeah, really yeah. try to change the, the mixture. I think that's true. And I also think for me personally, I think the goal is to be in a place where no one is doing it the way that you would want to do it. And I, I found that there was, yeah, there was like a transition where all of my, all the people I was excited about were doing a lot of things that I wouldn't have done where I was like, "Eh, I don't really like that tangent they're going off. Like, and so I think eventually, hopefully the work is the work that you want to want to see out there. Yeah. Um, At least it's been that way for me. Uh, Last thing uh, is if you could go back to whoever this person was when you were 20 and tell them one thing, what would you tell them? These are these last three are really typical, but I like I like them anyway. Uh, so I think they're t- sometimes things are cliche and typical because they're good. They're, yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, yeah. so but, you're, asking, yeah. you're asking me like Advice what would I say? Advice for your 20-year-old self, and you can tell us a little bit about who that person was too if, you, if, if it's necessary. Okay, my 20-year-old self was not um, like really creative at the time. Uh, he was very confused about who he was supposed to be and what culture he was supposed to exist in and what steps he was supposed to take in life. And uh, very insecure. Oh, man, a people pleaser. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. I have come so far in that. That's and good. And... Uh, so he was very insecure, very much uh, under peer pressure, ready to make anyone happy. Uh, so I, I would say, I, I mean, honestly, not to be generic, but I would say with that that talk, like the the theme of that talk, which is just don't chase the glory, work hard, and be satisfied. Yeah, because that summarizes it. Mm. Otherwise, it would be a long conversation. But <laughs> don't try to make your don't make yourself important. Still put all you have into it. Take care of the people around you and hang your hat up at the end of the day and have a good time. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's fantastic. Well, man, I 
This was super good. This was like one of my favorite <laughs> conversations ever. Um, I really liked it. <laughs> Dude, it was. I, I, I totally zoned out into the conversation zone. So thanks, man. I appreciate no, it. And I, and I knew it would be that way because that short, like, two-minute walk we had in Memphis, I was like, Dude, any night could probably get knee deep into a conversation, like or like. Yeah, man. Yeah, so. dude. I yeah. I talk, that was, yeah. I think about that short little coffee break. Oh man, thank you, Tyler, for being on the show. That was fantastic. I loved, loved, loved that conversation. Uh, go check out his work. He is seriously legit. Uh, go search Tyler Deeb. You can find it on Google and all that and go back to the show notes. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, everybody. I really, 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 really appreciate it. Thanks for sharing it. You guys were super enthusiastic last week about last week's episode. I've got some awesome things in the mix. I know I say that every week, but I hate that I can't tell you what's going on. I got a lot of cool stuff going on. It's cooking. Just trust me. It's in the crock pot. Uh, And uh, anyway, thanks, guys. Hey, also, I'm going to be at Icon this year. Go check that stuff out. I'm also going to be at Ghost Shrimp's Ghost Camp for the Ghost Scouts. Lots of ghosts going down over there. Uh, go check that out. Go check out. Um, I'll put a sh- link in the show notes. I'm going to talk more about that um, via Twitter and the blog and maybe a little video or something. But um, I'm going to be there in August. Uh, it's a really, really interesting thing that uh, that dude's doing. Go check that out. Thanks, guys. Thanks to our syndicate, Illustration Age. You can find this show at illustrationage.com slash creative pep talk. Thank you for the great tunes, Yoni Wolf, and your band Y for the theme music. Thanks to Nate Utesh for all the other tunage. We have uh, his band Metavari doing all the other songs. Thanks for that, guys. Guys, I... Love coming to you every week with more pep. I hope that it peps you to the max. In the meantime, do whatever you got to do to stay pepped up. 